Ah, excuse me. All right. I'm Jay Light, and this is Walks of Life. times do you think you're gonna thank me on this podcast i'm gonna go over under oh my god he knows 10 me times. well <laughs> i think that's pretty fair you um, take the over or the under i mean smart money's on over but right. just, i'm gonna we'll take go the under. under i believe in yeah you. oh ooh, putting the pressure on early uh just so everybody knows i know i just had you say it a million times but what's your name and who are you uh, I'm Jay Light. I am a stand-up comedian and comedy writer. Rock on. You're also a good friend of mine, and we're sitting here in uh, Greenblatt's Deli on the first floor on Sunset Moral, uh, right across the way from Trader Joe's, and it's a nice overcast day. Classic, classic overcast LA. I missed, I missed this weather. Oh, God. As soon as I saw that it was raining today, I was thrilled. I love it when right? it rains in LA. Same here, man. It's just such a refreshing thing too, because it's been so hot and gross. I'm just lately. so yeah. I'm so glad I don't have to run my air conditioning in my apartment anymore. <sighs> Always a good. I thing. even turned. I even turned the fan off today. It was a big step. Rock on, man. It never happens. It's been a couple months since uh, you've had to turn that on. I imagine, but welcome back. This is how the rest of the country is. It's nice, right? See weather. Um, we're probably going to cut most of this because, admittedly, I got off the rails. I don't, bit. Think, <laughs> yeah. I don't think you but, were going to cut any of it. Why cut it? We're off. It's a podcast. That's true, man. We should have these weird, authentic conversations. And anybody that's overheard me having a conversation with anybody knows that occasionally it'll get a little weird. Or, you know what? Fuck it. We're keeping it. All of this. Good. <laughs> that's the spirit. So... Uh, how do we really get to know each other and meet each other? I mean, granted, it's it's grown a lot, I think, since working together with the Laughing. Um, but do you remember when I first met you? Yeah, it was at the the comedy store when I still worked there. Yeah. And you were coming in and hanging out and watching shows. And you introduced yourself to me. The first time I really remember... You introducing yourself to me was when I was working a main room show, <clears throat> and I just saw you around there a lot. And then we uh, we got to talking, and you know we talked. You asked me questions about comedy and life and stuff, and you uh, started running a show, the Long Beach Laugh In, aforementioned. That's right, and, uh, and you had me host it, and I was your regular host for that show and thank for you a s- number of shows. Thank you so much. One dude. thank you. We're counting them out. That's the first one. We got one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so I was hosting that for almost the the full run of it so far. There's a couple times that I haven't. There's one you had me headline it, and there's one that you, that I, or a couple that I was out of town for. Yeah. A couple, I think there was like three or four. Yeah, this sounds about Not right. Not too bad. Um, but for the most part, I think you were pretty integral in developing that show in that you were like the official headliner for the first six months, man. Uh, you mean the official host. host. Host, but here's the thing. So when I choose someone 
two hosts, and this is how I, I wanted it from the beginning. I wanted to make sure to choose someone that really does have a lot of time um, and that is really good at their craft, or at least gives a shit. And you embodied that for sure. Dude. Oh, thanks. You give a shit. You give many shits. Uh, it's oh, admirable. so many shits, <laughs> especially after we're doing the screen blats. Oh, yeah. This pastrami. Uh, I would definitely recommend the prosciutto panini on sourdough. Sorry, rosemary sourdough. Dude totally upselled me. I went for it, and I got to say, I'm not sure if I taste the rosemary. It's all right, though. Uh, you try it out next time you're here, you tell me. Uh, but, yeah, no, I really can't. You can't. What? Oh, you can't, you I can't, can't say that word. Say <laughs> That's what? For what? Are you? Were you? I about can't to express thank me? to you how happy it makes me <laughs> that you agreed to host for that many shows and just to like not be a jerk, dude. You were always very forthcoming about answering questions, and like I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I you think know, when it's, you're new into comedy, it's scary. Well, I think it's especially at the mm. store, dude. As you know, right around there forever. But it's very like the way I approached stand up. When I was first getting started, I I have regrets about because I was trying to be too cool for school. Right. And there's no... At this point, I don't think there's any place for that. If you want to be a comic, you have to accept that we're all in this together. Right. And there's no need to be standoffish or a dick to people. Just be cool. Yeah, nice. It really comes down to that. Just be cool, man. Yeah. To everyone. Because why not? Like, this is so hard to do anyway. We mm-hmm. really don't need the extra stress of being assholes to each other. Yeah. And truthfully, you can get a lot done when you're nice to people. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, contrary to most people's belief, you don't have to be working by yourself on 100% of things for people to respect you as an artist. In fact, they probably respect you more if you collaborate. Right? Yeah. I think collaboration is very important. I... I am sort of a, <clears throat> even in like in general, I'm sort of a, a an isolationist a little bit. Like I'll, no, I'm a bit of a homebody. I tend to do stuff on my own a lot, but it's so important to socialize and work with other people. And I always really cherish opportunities and seek them out more now because of experiences I've had where I try and reach out to other people and work with them and write with them. I love the feeling of like, being in a writer's room and then the, the collaborative atmosphere of it. I love a good, uh, just a good, just hanging out and writing with somebody. Cause you're always, always going to have blind spots in your own artistic values and your viewpoint. So it's nice to have somebody else to bounce stuff off of. And they're going to think of things that you never would have thought of potentially. Right, because your perspective and their perspective are just informed by two very different things. Right. Different lives. Yeah. So it's like adding, you know, more hands on, more eyes on. Like, there's nothing bad about that. So take note, everybody. I know it's an easy trap to fall into because I've fallen into it before as well. But work with other people. It's better for everyone in the long run. really is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe me, come check out the Long Beach Laugh. And there's no way I could have grown that on my own. So, Jay, I want to... Th- <laughs> that counts. Just say Fuck it. Fuck it. I want to thank you again. You already ah! did that's, that's two and a half. Such a struggle. Two and a half for, for a anyone struggle. counting. I think I'm I'm counting for sure. And You're everybody else should be sure counting at home. Just take tally marks. That's I mean, what you if should... If you want to turn this into a drinking game, 
Yeah, we don't promote that. Um, but no, I promote it. Oh, fuck it. I geez. promote it. I'm an enabler. There you go. So every time Always I say thank been. you, go for That's it. That's three and a half. Just be quiet. So, <laughs> man, <laughs> I have never realized how complimentary I am. That's not true. I, I do realize that. It's <laughs> just I'm very hyper aware of it right now. Anyhow, uh, not enough people know about you. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be crossing boundary here or not, but I don't think I am. I think it's interesting. It's oh not boy. said enough. Crossing a, bound- crossing a boundary that you didn't ask me about before the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what's, what's going to come out of your mouth. I don't know, I don't know what it could be because I don't think that there's anything. I don't think there, there's any boundaries to be crossed. Famous last words. What is your real name, Jay? Oh, Jerry Thomas That's Light right. III. Who else's mind is blown? Mine was the first time I realized that. I think I knew you for like what? at least eight months before I realized you were Jerry and not The Jay. podcast to come to if you want to find out people's real names like it's a big deal. Totally is. Walks of life. That's right. By the way, my real name's Matt. Is it? Who is that? Who is that on the camera right now? Or on the mic right now? That wasn't me. Certainly wasn't me. So where did you grow up? I grew up. Well, mostly I grew up outside of Dallas, Texas. I moved around a lot when I was very young. Yeah. I was born in New Orleans. My parents, uh, well, my mom is from there, and my whole mom's side of the family is from New Orleans, and they've since scattered throughout much of the South. I got a lot of relatives in all over the Gulf Coast, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. Then they, uh, my, my dad was from Little Rock, Arkansas. He went to college and med school at Tulane, and my parents met when my dad was in med school and my mom was in nursing school, and then I was born in New Orleans, my dad was in the Navy, he was assigned to work at uh, an aircraft carrier stationed out of San Diego, so we moved to San Diego for about five years. As a doctor? Or yeah, yeah, he was a flight surgeon Very cool. on, a, on the now decommissioned USS Kitty Hawk. Right on. Man. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So and I'm, so I lived in San Diego for about five years, and you had a, you had a question. I well, now, I, I mean, yes, you can. Uh, I was going to say, so your mom was a nurse, just to clarify. Yeah. Your dad was a flight surgeon. Was your mom in the Navy as well? No. no? Mom was not, mom, okay. uh, was not in the Navy. Okay. My dad uh, was the only one. And so we moved after he was, he did two tours. He was out during the Persian Gulf War. And um, and then after that, he was put in the reserves. We moved to San Antonio, Texas. Worked, uh, he worked out there. Um, there's an Air Force base out there. I believe he was working in... Uh, around there but I'm not 100% sure so I don't mm-hmm. want to claim something that I don't think that I don't know is true or not and then we fact check everything here on Walks of Life yes for the record of course that's why you fact check my name that's you fact right check, you're gonna fact check my addresses that's right credit card numbers that's so right so he hang around for the uh, was in the inactive reserves eventually and then we moved to outside of Dallas a little suburb called Colleyville sort of in uh, what's known as the mid-cities of the Metroplex and then he was uh, stationed. Yeah, we he was inactive, and I grew up there. Um, I was there from eight till 
I mean, I lived. I stopped living at my parents' house essentially when I was eighteen. I would still go back for you know summers between semesters of college. Um, but I, yeah, I, I grew up in a little suburb of Dallas. Right. On. I mean, was were you eager to get out of there? Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it? I imagine was it very Texas-like? Because like you're, you have elements of a southern gentleman to you, but I would not consider you like a Texas boy or anything, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't right. have any problem with Texas as a place. No, it's a beautiful place. But I wanted to get out of my town. I feel you. I wanted to get out of my little city, my little suburban slice. I felt, I mean, when I was applying to colleges, I went to, you know, there are a lot of places in Texas that I applied to, and most of those were either in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or very close to it, a few hours' drive. But my number one school was a school in North Carolina, Elon, and I, I applied there, and I, I really liked it because it had, it had the programs I was looking for, and it was in a beautiful part of the state. North Carolina is just a beautiful state. If you've mm-hmm. never been, make a trek. It's a beautiful drive. But I went out there, and I... I loved it, and I fell in love with it, and I got in, and I was like, cool. I would like to go somewhere for school where I, I don't have the chance of my parents dropping in on me unexpected. Right on. Because my mom is a great lady, but she was definitely uh, in the helicopter mom kind of vein. Yeah. She always, always bugging you. Always just involved in stuff. Barging in the door unannounced, stuff like that, or not quite so much that, but very involved in my in my life, my gotcha. extracurricular life, in my school life. Well, that's kind of nice. So she loved you. Well, well yeah, nice. but I didn't think of it in that in those I terms bet, yeah. at the time. I was yeah, a you know, shitty teenager. I felt suffocated. Exactly. It was like, what are you doing? Why is this? Why are you acting like this? Let me be me, mom. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it, man. I think we all go through that. It's it's weird how time informs your perspective on things and how you can look back on the same situations and see like the errors or at least the changes in your thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so it sounds like they were pretty involved in your life and supportive of you. Well, my uh, mom was. My dad was not as much just because he worked a lot. My dad yeah. was working as a, as a vascular surgeon, so he was working Oof. all sorts of crazy hours. He was on call at a number of different hospitals, private practice. So he, as I got older, he was a bit more involved just because his time sort of opened up. Um, but I, you know, tons of nights when my dad would get home late and I didn't see him. And, you know, he would have, have be on call on weekends. So I did a lot of, I did a lot of like sports and stuff growing up, like baseball and a little bit of football. But my... Mom was always the one who was, like, involved in the team, and my dad would be... Because my dad just couldn't. He couldn't be. Right, right. I understand. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with their lives pretty entwined in the healthcare industry, I imagine they wanted that for you as well, or is that just an... I mean, I'm making a huge assumption there. Um, I don't think it's that huge. I wanted I to be... I feel like most people in healthcare... I wanted to work in medicine for a while. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought for years that I was going to wind up being a doctor or something. I really wanted to be a pediatrician for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, because I had these books growing up that were these gigantic, uh, just like medical encyclopedias. Were they illustrated? Yeah. 
like, oh shit, yeah, I yeah. had something similar. So I had one that was an anatomy book, and then one yeah. that was a book of all the diseases. Yeah. And so I remember I was reading through those a lot as a kid, and was big into science and science fair kind of stuff, and I I really liked just it just seemed like it was the right move and even when i got i i remember at one point i got actively uh told by my mom hey you shouldn't be a pediatrician because they have to deal with not only got to deal with sick kids but you also have to deal with horrible overbearing parents it's true do you really want to do that and i was like Ugh. so then <laughs> You know, I can. I still can considered some of that for a little bit, but then I, I was always bad at math, and as you go on in science, science just becomes an extension of math, right. and I hated that. So I didn't even think that it was going to be worth it for me. So I just sort of gave up on all that. When do you think that change in your mind happened? About thirteen, yeah. and then. It was fully cemented that I wasn't going to be involved in any kind of science or medical capacity about the time I was 15, chemistry. Yeah, and so, I mean, around that time, if you're saying to, to hell with this stuff, did you have something opposite in mind that you wanted to do? No. <coughs> Excuse me. No, not specifically. No. I had, was always... That, that was around the age when I started getting involved in theater. Right on. And so I did stuff, you know, I always... I, I always liked making people laugh, but I never, for many years, I never thought of anything in comedy as a potential career. I, but I was the kind of kid who, like, I would do school assignments, and I was doing, like, gifted and talented classes, so it was stuff, I was really trying to be the person who avoided just having to write essays for every right. final project, and I would be asking my teachers if I could make a video instead and that was the sort of vein that I was in in like my regular classes and then I was taking a lot of theater classes by the time I was in high school like I started in eighth grade and then I were you super into theater and yeah. movies and stuff before this oh yeah yeah okay sure. so it felt pretty natural yeah okay Very yeah cool. and I was doing you know like eighth grade I was uh a dog. I was Max the dog in <laughs> How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And Beautiful role. It was great. It was a great role. And I Incredible. did, in high school, I was in theater classes. I did oral interp, which is competitive acting and public speaking. I was a state finalist in this event called Original Oratory, my junior and senior year of high school, which is an event where you write a persuasive speech. Were you on a debate team? Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Yeah, I sense that. Only people that have been on a forensics team or a debate team recognize those terms. <laughs> forensics. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Texas, if you know what forensics means. Shout out to the Texas Forensics Association. CSI, then you've probably been on a debate team or club or something. Yeah. But I... No judgment. Because that's the thing. is like I had a lot of friends who were very good at the actual performance and playing characters, and they would get all the roles in the productions. And I never, I never got any of those, and I was bummed out about that for a long time. But I was good at writing my own stuff and performing my own stuff. And this is all stuff that, like, now I look back and I see that, and I'm like, oh, this all makes sense. This is all like leading up to the path. But I was, you know, I was kind of kid where I, again, doing stand up. In, or anything in comedy it's a career never occurred to me but I was doing 
stuff that would lead anyone, anyone to believe that, oh, this could be something that he winds up getting into. I did this thing called Pet Boys my senior year and junior year of high school. Is that like a improv group? No, it's a spirit squad. So football is huge in Texas. Very different than an improv group. Basically, every school has all anything that's related to football. They have big pep rallies, and there's like cheerleading and the dance team. And then most of them have some sort of like a spirit squad. They're all called different things. We were the Pet Boys. Cool. And what we would do, I mean, we'd be on the fields and, like, cheering and not really doing cheerleadery cheers, but we would do, you know, we had megaphones and we would do push-ups whenever we scored and we'd like run flags man. across the field. But our biggest thing was we would, at every pep rally, we would do a sketch very cool. That was basically making fun of football players <laughs> and doing so like fun. a fictionalized version of the game for that week. So being every theater kid's hero. And we had essentially, well, the way it was divided up was we had two factions in the within the Pep Boys. Mm-hmm. There was the kids who were in theater, which was about half of us, and so we all knew how to like write and perform stuff. And then there were the kids who were close with the football players, and so they got us all the dirt and intel on what was going on in their lives, and then we would turn it into sketches. Yeah. And then, yeah, and that's that was a big part of my high school experience. Dude, it sounds like that was the direct connection between you and the next step, becoming a full-on entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people that I talk to that are pretty good at comedy and you know that I respect as comedians had no real idea that they were going to do it necessarily but it feels like there's plenty of breadcrumbs leading up to their ultimate yeah. decision to go into stand up so and if I've you're all, out there wondering just and I'd always been a, I'd always been a big fan of comedy I remember I would yeah. stay up late and watch Comedy Central I watched a lot of you know Insomniac with David Tell and Friday Night Stand Up because I was also I was also a lonely kid I didn't really have friend groups that I would go and hang out with like I would be yeah at home on a lot of weekend nights until I got to high school, basically. And, you know, I'd I'd feel sad because I felt sort of alone and I was bullied a lot And uh, until I sort of found a group of people who I could hang out with. But I would, you know, stay up late and I would watch stand-up. And it Thank you, fascinated me. I bet, man. Sorry, what did you say? Oh, I, I just said thank you, Comedy Central. Ah, I, I was four and a half. <laughs> fucking hell, that's right. I just uh, wanted to make was, sure you said thank you. Ah, uh, that was a trick. I was like, why is he so? Why is he so determined to get me to clarify what I just barely slipped out of my mouth? Well, also, I mean, it's I want to hear what you're saying. Okay, not even just to get you on your thank yous. But like we're having a conversation. If you're mumbling, I can't understand what you're saying. It's true. It's a very good point for everybody out there. For a long time, I mumbled. It is important to be clear and direct. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough on that. <laughs> this, is such a, this is such an interesting podcast, the way you really do. I know, you, dude. It, it examines parts of me that I don't think most people regularly catch on. Well, it's like to, you're also you're trying to... I feel like there's an alternate reality where you're a motivational speaker somewhere. I can see that. And Mm -hmm. you have just, you're running like an inspirational Instagram account and just full of memes 
that are all like, yeah, you're, it, it's going to be okay. Just move on. I mean, there's a part of me that has a little bit of Tony Robbins-like qualities. So I'm sure that's not too big of a stretch. Um, and what Tony Robbins-like of, qualities do you have? I mean, I'd like to think I'm optimistic. I'd like to think I can be charismatic if I need to. And I'd like to think that like, I genuinely want everybody to come away from listening to this with some sort of inspiration. Okay. You know, and some sort of uh, motivation to do something better for their own life. You know what and Tony then, Robbins doesn't say, though? Thank you. No, but, but that's five, five and a half. Go on. But he was going to say, he doesn't say, I'd like to think. He it's just true. is. He is. And he's Tony confident. Robbins just is. You ever see that documentary about him? No, I've been meaning to. Oh, it's fascinating. Every time oh, it's so I interesting. see him, I just think of Martin Martins now. Like, my favorite version of Tony Robbins is Martin Martins. Even right. though they're t- totally separate people. And I'm just saying. Martin Martins like, is great. Stephen Randolph is, Stephen is a great awesome. comic. Yeah. Uh, a good friend. And he does this amazing character called Martin Martins. Look it up. He's got a whole series of YouTube videos and Instagram videos. It's just oh, it's so perfect. It really just the is. perfect encapsulation of what a, what a motivational speaker is. Not only what a motivational speaker is, but what a motivational speaker needs to be, I will say. But I don't think getting, it needs to be. I think it's what a motivational speaker shouldn't be. You're stepping my points, Jay. Let's get back on track. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's a very good point. We should have kept a, a, um, this. Uh, I'm just kidding. Count. No, I'm good on the thank you count. Six I don't and a half. Wanna, oh my god, I'm good on the. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not even. Gonna You're coming it. up on it. I Let's mean, you were about to hit the over. I should have taken the over. <laughs> I shouldn't have been so. I shouldn't have been so willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but oh, was that a trick to get me to uh, say the T word again? No, because I almost did. No, what well, should have been. <laughs> um, I don't even know where we were a minute ago. We were talking about stand up, the Pep Boys, uh, sta- being a lonely exactly kid we watching yeah. Comedy Central at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever watch Freaks and Geeks? Yeah, I watch Freaks and Geeks. Oh man, I was my mind was blown the other day because uh, I realized I believe it was two days ago that it was the 20 year anniversary of it being premiered. And it just blows Has it been my that mind long? That it's been that long. Wow. 1999. Uh, or 98. No, 99. Has to be. Um, but yeah, 1999, I believe, September 25th. I remember watching that show, though, and there were so many things that uh, reminded me of my life experience. And there's one scene in particular that I posted on my Facebook that I feel like most comedians would be able to relate to. The scene of Martin watching the... Gary Shandling. Yeah. Yep. Being a latchkey kid. To That's the not max. his actual name. That's the actor's name, Martin Starr. What's the character's name on that show? I forget. Uh, no, it is Martin. Is it on the show, too? Hold on. I know the actor's Martin Starr. Sam Levine. I don't know why I can't think of. Damn it. No. That's not really that important. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's the scene all. all Bill, it's Bill. Bill, that's Bill right. Havercheck. But all My the bad. people who watch that scene, who are comics, I think identify with that scene a lot. Yeah, because I think, I mean, you kind of leaned into it too. Were you much of a latchkey kid, or just kind of a no, home I wasn't alone? a latchkey kid, just kind of a, a just kind of kid. lonely kid. I feel you. Yeah, definitely had those nights too, where I watched lots of Comedy Central, and then that would stop at like two, or three in the morning. I'd start watching the Weather Channel and. 
whatever else, public access television until everything started getting back on. But I feel like a lot of comedians definitely have those moments when they were younger or had those moments when they were younger, just being alone with no one else to entertain you but the TV. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Watch watch that scene if you get a chance. Look up YouTube. You should watch the whole show. You should. You should. It's watch only one the season. One season, thirteen episodes. Two, two seasons. Wasn't it? No. Because it was canceled twice. Came back at least twice. I want to say it was. Sure two about seasons. that? Yeah, for sure it was canceled twice. Because I remember. Uh, we're getting. Being we're gonna ecstatic. double check this. We're gonna fact check. Let's do it. Your official fact checking podcast. Oh, you're right. It was one season. Yep, eighteen I episodes. It. I could have swore. Yeah, they they persuaded him to broadcast the three remaining episodes. So it was just canceled one time. Well, my bad. Yeah. All the same. Amazing show. I remember being so ecstatic about that and lending so many people that box set that I can't even tell you where my box set of Freaks and Geeks is. It's just somewhere out there. So if you have that and you're listening to this, please return it. So let's keep going. Um, who inspires you comedically, man? Um, or just in life? It doesn't have to be just com- comedians. Do you mean what inspires now you or over, over the course of my life? Because there's different answers for that. I mean, I meant now, but I kind of want to hear both. Who are some figures that have been well? One of my biggest, one of my biggest in- comedic inspirations is one of my best friends, a student, Parker Searfoss. He uh, is one of my oldest friends. He's the guy who got me into stand up yeah. as far as performing it. He bought a copy of the Comedy Bible. Shout out Judy Carter. And that book is basically just a guide on getting started in stand up. And it recommends that you get a buddy to do comedy with. And I remember he got that book our senior year of high school. And he was reading it and he was like, Oh, it says I should get a comedy buddy. I need one of those. And I volunteered. And so we were doing stuff, you know, he was in theater and Pep Boys and stuff, so I knew him, but that so we, was like a you different You didn't officially know thing. you were going to be a comedian still. You were just signing up to no. be his comedy buddy. Yeah. And I just started writing jokes and we got moleskin notebooks and we were writing jokes together and now he's not really, he doesn't do stand-up anymore. No? But, he, I mean, he doesn't even live in L.A. anymore. He, he moved back to Texas. But he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's such a great... He's great uh, in conversation. He's great off the cuff. Great ideas guy. And he is one of like my oldest inspirations. Like I always wanted to be as funny as him. And there's you know, plenty of, of times like that. You know, my, uh, I remember my grandpa told a lot of jokes... Was a really funny dude, really likable, really charismatic. He's an inspiration. Um, my one of my all-time favorite comics, and I remember one of the first. So one of the first albums I ever bought was was Pat Oswalt's Werewolves and Lollipops. Great album. But I remember my one of my all-time absolute favorite comics is Kyle Kinane, and I remember I read about him as someone who'd opened for Pat, and I was like, okay, because I liked Pat Oswalt a ton. And I still think he's a great comic, but this mm-hmm. was like at the height of my Oswald fandom. And his debut album came out. I was reading about it in like the AV Club or something, and they had in their blurb, 
uh, he opened for Patton Oswalt, and his album's great, and I was like, oh, okay, check it out. And I listened to that, and I remember I listened to it by myself, and I was dying laughing, and then I remember this was, this was in college, and me and a bunch of my friends were out for uh, some long weekend, I think it was Easter Easter weekend, we were out hanging out with friends of ours at some at someone's lake house, and we were just having you know drinking out on the on the, on the back porch and talking about stuff. And I was like, "Hey, I got this this uh, stand up album that you guys we should listen to." And it was the weirdest thing because I put it on, and then we all everybody got silent on the patio, <laughs> and we just listened to this album in entirety. That's amazing. And. It was so because he's that first album. Kanane's a great comic, and he's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, definitely an inspiration. But Death of the Party is such a is such a beautiful comedy album, and the way he tells stories and the way he layers in jokes throughout is just something that I really, really admire. Um, other comedic inspirations to me: Brian Moses and the Roast Battle, and Jeff Ross. I owe a lot to them. Awesome. Not even just in a professional standpoint, but from being there to help me, to help shepherd me along and unlocking different, uh, accessing a part of myself comedically on stage that I never thought that I could access. I appreciate that every day. And those guys also inspire me a lot. I I bet, man. Those guys are such phenomenal comedians in their own right. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to see them in the original room a couple times, just kind of relaxing and doing stuff off the cuff, and it's amazing. Those minds in general, I'm sure, are super sharp Yeah, just by uh, nature of doing the roast battle every Tuesday. Yeah. Brody Stevens really inspired me, too. Brody was such a great performer. Brody's and funny. And he was so was he was so in the moment. And that's something I really struggle with is being in the moment. Uh, and it's I, I struggle with it less now, but watching him, just, just a force of nature. And I really, yeah. always really inspired me watching his sets. He had some pretty crazy responses from the crowd, like considering a lot of that stuff was off the top of his head. Mm-hmm. Like you would never be able to know because he had the formulas the mechanics whatever he did his magic yeah was on point i remember one time seeing him at a secret show uh brian redband's secret show at the ice house happens pretty regularly on fridays you should go check that out good yeah. show speaking and, of magic by the way oh sorry you go ahead no no go on no no no. i interrupted you well all right but remember this magic point cause i'm will. curious um and that brings up another point about magic i think most comedians were into magic at some point but we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, we were I was watching him over at uh, the Ice House for this Death, Death Squad secret show. And he used to do this thing where he knew the mascots for, like, every high school in the U.S., apparently. Mm-hmm. And you would call out wherever you were from, city-wise, or he would ask. And he would be able to identify the city and match it up with the right mascot. Yeah. Right? And Hollyville Heritage, the Panthers. You Somehow, got it. some fucking how he knew. And I remember watching and just being amazed by how he was being able to, like, off the cuff, pull this information from somewhere and do it accurately. And it came over to me. He made eye contact with me. And he said, where did you go to high school? And I don't know why, but it didn't occur to me to give him the location 
so much as the name of the actual school, mm-hmm. which was Santiago. So instead of telling him the city I came from, I just shouted out as loud as I could, Santiago! And without missing a beat, he still fucking got it. And he said, Santiago, that's in Chile! And he fucking got this giant uproar from the audience because he somehow took this disastrous situation and turned it into a good one. It wasn't even a disaster, though. No, I'm just speaking melodramatically. He was really awesome as a performer. And I just remember seeing that moment and just laughing so hard because he took my fuck up and still ran with it. It wasn't even you fucking up, though. Well, you know what I mean. Me misspeaking didn't matter. He still was so on point and such a great performer that he was able to roll with it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So speaking of magic... I'm sorry. Go oh, on. sorry. Magic. You 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 want to you want to gush about Brody more? No, he's great. He was. Give me more about magic. So <laughs> I used to do magic growing up. I did. I was into it. Um, I think you're probably spot on. But there's a book. I there's this comic magician that I really liked. His name was Jay Sankey, and the first comedy book I ever bought was a book by him called Zen and the Art of Stand Up Comedy, and I remember being really into Jay when I was doing magic and then when I started getting interested in doing stand-up I saw his book and I was like oh I like this guy's magic I wonder what his book is like his book's a great book so simple so effective one of my one of my books that I still have in my comedy library to this day that's awesome man do you feel like do you feel like there's benefit from to be gained from reading those books I know some people yeah. are pretty adamantly against comedy classes and books but there's My a difference between classes and books, though. Yeah. Explain. Well, books are stuff you read on your own. Classes are you giving money to somebody to teach you to do something that you're very capable of doing yourself. But I think I don't I, – I've taken comedy classes. I don't think for certain disciplines you need them. Like stand-up, I don't think you need to take stand-up class necessarily. I think you can figure it all out on your own. It'll take time, but you can. But taking a class, if you work well in that environment and you're scared of doing open mics, which if you want to actually pursue stand-up, you got to get over that. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially an open mic that you're paying for for several weeks. It's a very good point. Never thought about that, but you are essentially paying just to be in there. Yeah, and you're also, but mic. you're also paying to have somebody teach you certain aspects of like how, structure. yeah, joke structure and stuff to do on stage, simple things like moving the mic behind you or away from you. I remember thinking, you know, but reading these books anyways. Like one of the first books I ever read. And this was even before I even wanted to do stand-up. This is a, this is an interesting one. So I used to be – so I was real lonely, right? And I had a lot of friends. So when I started having friends, but in high school, all of my friends started dating people very quickly. And I got very girl crazy. And I remember I did a lot of reading of websites like becomeaplayer.com. Oh, yeah. And I was reading like mystery <laughs> method books and stuff. Fucking pickup artists. And there's – yeah. And there's this book called Double Your Dating that I read. Yeah. And – the guy, David D'Angelo, was an advocate of what he called the uh, – he's like, if you want to get if you want to get girls to like you, you got to be cocky and you got to be funny. And the thing he recommended for figuring – he's like, if you're not funny, read this book and it will teach you all about jokes. 
And it was comedy writing secrets. And was it, do you think you actually learned a lot from that book? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, dude. The book is actually a really good, it's a good book on comedy writing. Everybody go to Amazon, quick. Yeah, comedy writing secrets. secrets. Mel Helitzer. (laughs) And uh, I forget, he's got a, because Mel Helitzer, I believe, is dead, but he has a co-writer who has updated the book. It's on the third edition now. But it's a great book. Teaches you all about joke craft and wordplay and and the different ways that you can get jokes and different ways to use jokes in in all aspects of life. There's a stand-up chapter. There's a chapter on, like, writing greeting cards. There's a chapter on public speaking. There's all sorts of stuff. All right. You heard it here first. Television and movie writing. Yeah. Is solid gold. So go pick it up. And it's the color gold. Why wouldn't it be? Of course. Why wouldn't it be? It's gold. Um that's pretty rad, man. I know this is like at least the sixth or seventh time that you've mentioned that book around me. And in classic fashion, I've not picked it up. But I will. <laughs> Hopefully. And I will read it one day. Hopefully. Probably. probably. <laughs> yeah. I I'd mean, like to think that someday, probably, maybe I'll read it. Hopefully. I don't have a problem with committing to anything. Anyhow. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean... There, there's so many different ways to skin a cat that I know it's pretty tired saying, but it's pretty tired saying for a reason. There really is a million ways to become a comedian too, and why not, man? Mm-hmm. So what if people out there give you shit for looking at a book? Fuck them. If it helps you on your journey, that's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, dude, it's right for you. Exactly, man. I you, think there's a. I think there's especially in your early years, reading about the craft is important and learning about the craft is important do you think the history is important not necessarily no i don't think you need to know where you've come from in order to get to where you are i think there's a lot of comics back that from from sort of the classics era that you should get to know a little bit you know like i i think everybody should watch a little bit of carlin a little bit of richard Pryor, a little bit of bill hicks a little bit of uh, and I, what plays me to say I haven't watched any of him, but Lenny Bruce, um, one of my favorite uh, comedy albums of all time is Andrew Dice Clay, "The Day the Laughter Died." That is such an important, but and it's weird it's, concept. An, it's an important <laughs> and weird album, yeah. but it's something that I remember watching somebody talk a lot about Dice. I was like, you know what? I've seen him on stage on the door a couple times. I've never seen, like, any of his old, old stuff. And so the album that everybody seemed to say you got to listen to is The Day of the Laughter Died. And it's just <laughs> such an interesting, just, so, just like, the way he attacks, literally is, like, attacking the crowd on that album and trying to walk people is fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, I have a feeling that more comedians will enjoy it than just regular comedy fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all the more reason for you to go check it out. Prove me wrong. It's pretty interesting. There's not many other albums out there where someone is willing to show you them failing. This one, Dice was like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him fucking legend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I feel like we've nerded out a lot on comedy, and we could probably keep going for a couple more hours, but... Just for the sake of having to wind down a little bit. Um, How far on the questions are we right now? About, we're almost done, believe it or not. Yeah? Yeah, believe it or not. We've kind of stuck to it in a weird way. Oh, look at that. Yeah. You didn't even have to talk about 
things going off the rails. We got it. We no, got there. No, no, dude. Just relaxing and just doing your best, inevitably, turns out great products. Turns out something I'm learning more and more about as the days and weeks go on. But um, <laughs> with that in mind... <laughs> While I'm being melodramatic, let's get While you're something. talking like you're uh, like you're writing to your lover during the war. It does sound like Greg Giraldo's bit, didn't it? Dear Marie, mm-hmm. it is very sweetie in the dessert. Don't fuck anybody while I'm gone. <laughs> Paraphrasing. Um, but yeah, so beyond the comedy, man, I know you as a person. You're a pretty interesting, dude. Uh, Thanks. Let's give everybody else a little bit of a glimpse. Like, what do you do to decompress? Or like, oh, do you have hobbies? I don't know if um, you can call them hobbies. Uh, I mean, I have other stuff that I do. You do. I have. I like to run. I like to exercise. Um, running in particular is something I've done for a long time. I've been. I've never been much of like people ask me if I'm like a marathon runner. I'm more of like a short, like middle distance runner. I'll do a five k pretty regularly. Just is good exercise. Um. I like to do high-intensity short workouts, do yoga. I like to meditate. I go between doing just meditation at home, like 10 minutes a day is where I'm at regularly right now in the mornings. And I will go to a float tank once a month, good old float lab, sensory deprivation tank. And that is such an important thing for me to do. What's that like? Cause I don't it think kind of depends people. person to person. But, I mean, the general experience is you go into a tank of heavily salinated water. And you have in earplugs and, uh, and it's totally dark. Pitch black. And you're just kind of floating there. And the water's room temperature... And you sit there, or not room temperature, it's uh, it's body temperature, so you feel like you're just there. And it took me, I've been going to float tanks for a, a while now, it's probably been almost two years, maybe longer than two years since I've been starting to go into float tanks. But I try and go once a month, it really helps me get out of my head by being so in my head that I'm just thinking about stuff that I'm doing in my everyday life, stuff that I'm doing on stage, stuff that I'm doing off stage, relationships with people, and really you, you put it all under a microscope because there's no other distractions. And so I, I think that's an important part of my, uh, not daily because I don't do it daily, but my... Uh, my process of of being sort of creative leveled out person. emotionally, yeah, and right. creatively, yeah. Right on, man. When you're in there, I mean, do you start visualizing things sometimes? Because I imagine being under no, being around no other senses than touch, and I mean, is it dark in there? I mean, you're not even really touching anything, though. You're just you feel you're in the water. Though, yeah, right? but it, you don't feel the water because no. it's it's body temperature. That's crazy. I've you definitely hallucinated in those. Really? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And not in like a bad trip kind of way, no. but in like a vision quest kind of way, maybe. Yeah. And mostly it's nothing crazy. It's like fractals or patterns that okay. I see. Sometimes the closest thing I've ever done to like seeing something is I've seen uh, a face talking to me before. That's great. But I don't remember what it said. 
But I'll also do, in the meditations, I'll also do a lot of, and into the tank too, a lot of active visualization of things. And I did it for a while, and I kind of stopped, and now I'm getting back into it. But visualizing things like being passed at clubs or performing for full audiences. That's the kind of stuff. those are things that you have as goals to attain pretty regular. I mean, like, do you have any goals that you want to achieve yeah. within the next, let's say, two years? Yeah, being passed at clubs. Yeah, being passed um, at clubs. I'd like to, you know, sell a feature script. I'd like to be working on more television shows. I mean, my ultimate goal at the end of the day, because writing is nice for the income, it's very fun to write on television shows, having written on a handful at this point, and that being my main source of income now. But I'd like to be able to be a touring stand-up comic and make money off of that and make enough money to live off of that. I don't know if I'll be able to do that in two years. It'd be cool. You but never know. Why not set the exactly. goal? Exactly. I never, I, ne- I never know. And I'm, I'm sort of a goals-oriented person. I like systems. I have... In my apartment next to my desk where I write, I have a big whiteboard where I have uh, a list of, as this year has gone on, a list of monthly goals. This is actually, as we're recording this, this will be the first month that I didn't officially achieve the goal, but I made big progress on it, which is nice. Yeah, you can't discount that. No, of course not. If it's the only month that you haven't achieved your goals, I think you're doing pretty damn good. Yeah, feel good. And then... uh, you know, I like to think about stuff in sort of big picture, but not obsessing over the big picture so much. I think it's important. So, I mean, with that in mind, it sounds like you're pretty happy with where things are in life and where you are in life. Yeah. Um, do you think if, you think if you could go back in time, maybe and tell yourself, your younger self, I should say, some bit of advice or wisdom? Oh, to go back in time and tell my older self? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You don't know what time works like in I this mean, construct. I mean, going back in time, yes. You don't know which universe I'm talking about. I can guess. <laughs> All right, no. If you could go back to go back in time and tell your younger self uh-huh. a bit of wisdom or advice, does anything stick out and come to mind? Wisdom or advice doesn't even have to be comedy related. I would imagine it probably wouldn't be. Um. Don't care so much about what other people think of you. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm really now just starting to grasp that that doesn't matter. It's been a long time. It's something that I've really wanted to do for as long as I can remember. Not you know, going back to first trying to make friends and being bullied and I wish I could have not cared about that. I wish I didn't care about being popular or being liked because trying to achieve those things really set me up to have kind of a miserable go of things. And I'm finally starting to really grasp what it means and what it actually feels like in practice to not care about what everybody thinks about me all the time. 
and to recognize that it's not necessarily about me and making it all about me and trying to please everybody and be everything for everyone all the time is not only exhausting for me, but it's exhausting for everybody else around me. And it's impossible to do that and be happy. I think that getting to this point, there's still miles to go. But I'm glad that I'm at least finally at that point now mentally. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm excited to see where it goes. Right on, man. Excited to see how it affects me creatively and how it affects me with interpersonal relationships and in my everyday life. But I definitely feel a change in a way that I, I... It's one of those things you can't really chase. That's the that's the other problem to it. Is it's so hard to... It's it's so hard to not care about things because if you think about it all the time then you're caring too much and you're and you're putting too much on it and it's it's just one of those things that like it hits you one day it's a switch that flips and that's that's it it's all there is I'm sure if, even if I went back in time and told myself that it wouldn't change anything I think you're right. I think it's something that you have to come to realize on your own. Like you said, like that switch has to be flipped. Mm-hmm. The only way to get to it seems to be through deep introspection or yeah, you know, going throughout your own work, working on yourself. Yeah. Well, dude, if uh, the short time I've known you is any indication of your future, I think you're going to be pretty cool and successful, dude. So keep doing what you're doing. Um yeah, it's been awesome to see you grow even just in the short time I know you and see you turn out so much stuff. So Thanks, man. Same to you. Keep doing it, man. Very you... nice to see you. Very nice to meet you. Very nice to know you. <laughs> just got to say that for the record. Yeah, I no. know. I know you got to say it. You say it all the time. But it's yeah. just, I feel the same way about you. Oh, thanks, yeah, you've man. Been, you've been, it's been very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting watching you grow and change and grow up. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, you've definitely seen me do a lot more growing, I think, than a lot of people have in my life, and uh, I wouldn't change anything, man. Definitely had to live the way I lived, and things happen for a reason. I really, mm-hmm. truly believe that now. Yeah. Um, before we sign off, uh, do you have any closing words, a favorite quote, something you want to share, a book that everybody should check out? Anything else besides books or anything else I can recommend? Whatever you want, man. I've been having everybody honestly end with one particular song that is meaningful to you. Okay. So if you want to end, give us one. No, I'm going to give you all the things. I'm going to recommend all all sorts of stuff. I love recommending things. You know, Um, while you're there, because we talked about it, why don't you recommend that book about meditation for everybody? Oh, mindfulness. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Miracle of Mindfulness by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. It's a great book. Great simple book on how to meditate and how to meditate in, uh, in your everyday life. A lot of, uh, he, he puts the phrase as washing the dishes to wash the dishes. And the, this is sort of very practical book on meditation. Um, so that's not even the book I was going to recommend. I'm going to recommend something. I'm going to recommend something else entirely besides that. But you should everybody should read that. It's a great book, especially if you're looking to get into meditating. It's the simplest book on meditation I've ever read. It makes a lot of sense. It's very practical. I love practical shit. Um, quote. This is uh, 
something I'm not going to say because I don't want to butcher it, but go read the Man in the Arena speech from Teddy Roosevelt. I have a, a version of, a very simplified version of that paraphrased from somebody else, Brene Brown, who's also a great speaker. You should go watch her TED Talk on shame. She's fascinating, a great speaker. But I have a very paraphrased version of that uh, tattooed on me. That's how much I care about that quote and that speech. But the Man in the Arena speech is fascinating. And if you're in any sort of, especially in any sort of creative outlet, it's worth reading and worth watching. Books, I would highly recommend one of my favorite books of all time is A Confederacy of Dunces. If you never read it, go read it. It builds to such an amazing conclusion. It's so funny. It's one of the only books that I remember laughing out loud at as I was reading it. It's fascinating. It's a great book. Um, and song. It's interesting. I was just doing, there's this pitchfork poll out right now. That's like the top 10 songs and top 10 albums of the decade. Have you seen that? You're a big music it, guy. But I'm willing to bet I know all the songs. Of yeah. It. Go on. Well, no, it's it's a reader poll, so you're picking it. And I was trying to narrow down my top 10 songs and top 10 albums of the decade. Well, we're going to put you on the spot and ask for... Well, the one I would recommend <laughs> is uh, Dance Yourself Clean by LCD Sound System. LCD okay. Sound System is my favorite band, but that song in particular... I mean, if we're talking from the decade, it's a great song. What I love about LCD Sound System is that they have a wide array of, of songs as far as the subject matter it covers. So if you want a happy one, Dance Yourself Clean is a great one. If you want a sad one, listen to Someone Great. Also a great LCD Sound System song, but definitely not a happy one. Anyway, that's it. Well, dude, I want to... Uh... Damn it. No, we can't hit the other. You, you can again. say <laughs> Yeah. For coming out and talking with me today, um, it's been a pleasure, sir. I'm gonna shake your hand because everybody can hear it. And uh, yeah, man, thank you, Jay. You're welcome. That's nine and a half. You did it. You beat the under. We Just did it. We did it. Let's give ourselves a high five because <laughs> they can hear that. All right, you guys take care. See you on the next. Oh wait, do you want to promote your website or anything? Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if you were gonna ask that too. I have an album that will be out. I don't know when you're releasing this, but. Probably soon. This album, I just recorded it, and it'll be out end of October, beginning of November. Still locking down the dates and the title, but go to my website, jlightcomedy.com. That's where you'll find it, all the info about the release when it's out. And my social media is at dietj on Twitter and Instagram. So give me a follow, and I'll post all the stuff on there when it's, uh, when it's on its way to being released. Oh, and check out my podcast, Blockbusting. Talk about movies that people hate and why they hate them. It's a fun time. Check him out everywhere. He's an awesome dude. All right. Thanks, Matt. Talk You're an you awesome later. dude. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jay.